This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB's Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening to us on this Thursday morning. On today's show, we'll speak with Vic Schaefer, the coach for the number one seeded NCAA women's basketball, Mississippi State Women's Bulldogs. And March 24th and 25th, the Mississippi Agricultural and Forestry Museum in Jackson will host Celtic Fest. And we'll speak with Cameron Carson about the Highland Games demonstration sports that will be exhibited there. I got a feeling I would not be good at any of that. But first, we've invited onto the show Faith and Tracy Hammerbeck. Faith plays with the Germantown High School lacrosse team, the boys team, along with Faith Tracy Hammerbeck. Her mother is here. And thanks for speaking uh, with us this morning, Uh, Faith and Tracy. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, the, the first obvious question, uh, Faith, is uh, playing on the boys team. Is there is there how how is that? Um, it's fun. We moved here three years ago from Pennsylvania. So I started off playing girls lacrosse. And when we came here, we uh, found a club and I was excited and we showed up and there were no girls when I showed up. So <laughs> they said you can put some pads on and play. And I did. And I fell in love as soon as I got on the field. And uh, girls and boys lacrosse is very very different game for boys you have full pads chest arm gloves helmet um and then girls across all you have is goggles so girls across is no contact and boys is full contact so it was (laughs) (laughs) it was definitely a change but it was really fun to beat up on boys it was just something different and i'm really glad i I get to play with the boys that's very interesting (laughs) Uh, before you got to play on um a, a, a boys team essentially uh how did you like playing lacrosse? Did you like that the idea that there were kind of different rules for girls and then boys? Yeah, um, playing girls lacrosse, you always uh, you wish that there was contact. It's just kind of part of it. You like wish I could hit someone and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like playing girls lacrosse. I always wished I could play boys lacrosse. Like secretly in the back of my mind, I'm like at tournaments you would see boys teams like playing next year. Be like, I wish I could play. Just try once and yeah. getting to play is really fun. So yeah. how how much did you you, uh, did you fit right into the pace of play, into the, um, the style of play, the level of play? It was it was definitely a change, especially even girls and boys' sticks are different. Um, boys' sticks have a pocket, and I think it's it's a different type of throwing, and girls are tighter, and it it's more. I think it's more skill to play girls across than it is boys across. Yeah. So I feel like I fit in with the catching and throwing, but definitely like the contact was different because I'm used to just standing there and be able to throw without someone coming up and trying to body check you to the ground. Right. So um, <laughs> that was different. But I think, especially because I'm playing for three years, let it, I fit in and they think I'm one of the boys on the team. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you see at a point sometime the kind of fusing of the two, like there not not being so much of a difference? Between between the girls um, and the boys game? Not really. That's really, interesting. Yeah. yeah, you would think they would be very similar, but they're not. Like, even uh, 
with boys and even the ref calling, there's very few whistles. And a lot of times play just keeps going even after whistles go. And girls across, there's whistles every like three seconds, I swear. <laughs> so you have to stop and all different kinds. And with boys, you just you can hit and keep going. And girls, like it's no contact, like no touching. Like the rules are very different. And girls is way more strict than boys. All right. So, yeah. mom, um, you send your you send your baby girl out here to play with all these boys. Uh, I did. Any reservation at all at first about that? How, how, how did you process that as a mom? Well, as a mom, I had lots of guilt about pulling her out of her high school during her freshman year and her sophomore year. And um, when we got here, I said, I will find you a lacrosse team. <laughs> and I found her a lacrosse team. Uh-huh. And when we found out that it was a boys team with no girls currently playing on it, I said, well, if you want to try it, you can try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to continue. And I'll be honest, there were a few tears the first couple times she went because it is different. It's very different. Um, but I was there on the sidelines and I talked to the coaches and I said, please don't kill her. And uh, don't hurt her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, she she has fit in. She's played a long time. She's played since she was in the fifth grade. And she loves the sport. And she's a goalie. So both the boys and the girls have have goalies. So she was able to kind of find her place. And now she plays on in the goal and she plays on the field. And, and uh, I don't worry as much now. She, she can swing that stick pretty pretty well it sounds like that may be her her favorite part uh just thinking out loud just anticipating that okay so (laughs) playing goalie that's that's it's almost an entirely different thing because a lot i'm thinking of the people running back and forth Mm -hmm. and uh like you said a lot of the, the the physical contact how much how much contact do the goalies have to deal with um being a goalie, there's a crease around the goal, so in there, no one else can go in there. And in boys, the de- your defender players can go, and in girls, like no one can go in the crease. So if I stay in there, there's no contact. But if I choose to step out, there is contact. I try to stay in the crease because I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get body checked to the ground. But goalie, and also they, on both sides, they have the most protection of way more pads, so... It that's a bit, that's probably the most similar between girls and boys is just like goalie and what you wear and how you play because your goal is to just block the ball. It's probably the safest place. Yeah. On the field. <laughs> now a lot of people think. Uh, well, at least this was my first thought anyway. Uh, when you're thinking about you know um, a net, you're, you're a net minder essentially, and a lot of people think maybe hockey first. And there's just a little bit of space behind the net in yeah. hockey and lacrosse. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of space. Yeah. And there's a lot of strategy involved. Yeah. With moving the ball behind the net. How mm-hmm. do you how do you handle that because you got a bunch of space in front of you, but you also have to tend to a lot of real estate yeah. behind you as well. Um, it took me a long time to realize that like, it's okay, you don't have to turn around and be, <laughs> be, make sure you know the ball. Like You still have to make sure the ball is at all time, but it's okay. They can only score from the front, so scoring like from behind, you don't have to worry about as much because they can't score from back there, but it, you have to move a lot, and especially goalie, you don't run during the game, but you're quick on your feet. And I started playing goalie because I didn't want to run as much. And I found out that <laughs> it was probably even more running and you'd be really quick on your feet. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. <laughs> I tried to find all those positions too <laughs> when I was in high school and all the way up until like yesterday. <laughs> so moving from Pennsylvania, I know uh, lacrosse in, in a lot of other regions is a 
tremendous deal. I know specifically like the Mid-Atlantic area, the NCAA lacrosse championships, they hold them in the Ravens Stadium in Baltimore every year, and the place is jammed. It's like 60,000 people. And specifically in that area, I know it's a huge deal. What was it like coming from Pennsylvania, um, where I I could only assume it was a much bigger deal, coming to Mississippi, where the sport is still growing? Um, It was definitely hard because playing my freshman year at my high school, it was a team sport. Like, the school supported it. Um, Like, you had games every week. You did preseason, all this stuff. And moving down here in 10th grade, we didn't start a couple weeks before our game. And not having it being a part of the high school is also different. So, like, timing and... And also the commitment. I feel like people down here, they don't realize that lacrosse is different. Like, it is a different... It's a different play. It's played different down here than it is up there because it's hard. There's, you can't really watch much down here because there's not, like, professional teams like there are up there. Yeah. But... It's it's more of a, a year-round yeah. sport. Yeah. So, and uh, up there, you play all year round. Like, I played... Um, the last two years, I've gone up and played with my club team, my girls' club team, over the summer. So, I, yeah, so it's way different. <laughs> so, uh, how has it been? Because uh, I, I know seems like the first thing that I can remember about lacrosse coming any kind of in any kind of organized way to Mississippi is when uh, Millsaps College introduced introduced mm-hmm. the women's team first. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe like ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. It seems like, mm-hmm. um, but h- how how willing are people? Uh, to listen to uh, you know people who play the sport, how, how much is it growing? How much are people willing to you know lend it the the space and the time and the resources that you need to grow a sport like that? Um, it's very hard, um, especially because pe- we we try to get out there as much as possible, like being on the radio, trying to get out there, and like even just practicing. And people drive by and they turn and they honk and they wonder what it is but <laughs> we're trying to get it out there as much it's it's really hard because a lot of people especially in our area that it's football and they don't want to get hurt off season in spring um yeah it's just it's hard to get it out there especially because it's a new sport and everyone and at high school i feel like by that time they have their thing like it's either soccer or whatever so it's hard to get something in but we've had a lot of people come and say I don't really have a sport like let's do something new and it's great to get someone started not knowing how to play and then seeing them score it's we're trying to get it out there but or someone who used to play baseball Mm -hmm. or football Mm -hmm. and they've gotten they've gotten into middle school and they say I don't want to do that anymore this is something new I can try yeah there's so many there's so many cool elements of you know so many different sports that are extremely popular in the south that are that are part of the game of lacrosse if people don't even know about it they've never seen it or they've just you know maybe taken a passive look at it it's it is an incredibly fun sport so i've never played it but it's a fun sport to watch it's fast it's fast paced and there's there's so many elements of of things that that people love Mm -hmm. about sports down here in mississippi that you can pick on pick up on easily Mm -hmm. in the sport uh yeah it's I like to, like, even when I'm not playing, I like to watch it. It's just a fun game to watch. It's very fast-paced. There's a little bit of soccer, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of basketball, all kind of in one sport. Yeah. Um, there's, and then there's, like, 10 people on the field. And uh, and boys across, there's something different than girls across. They have long poles, so they have sticks probably as tall as them, and they can hit people. So it, it it's really fun to watch, and... It's some it's something different, but you can see just watching it similarities of other sports. So, are you is is it a club team you're playing for? Is it a high school team, um, or they're kind of one and the same? It's kind of 
a rec league almost. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, Mississippi Lacrosse yeah. is a club. We call it a club team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, spin, spun off of that, we have uh, high school club teams mm-hmm. at Madison Central and at Germantown. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how how difficult is it to to find games? I know there there yeah. are pockets of teams across mm-hmm. the state, but I'm sure that doesn't lend to yeah. you know mom and dad or <laughs> emptying out the pocketbook, running up and down the roads through the state of Mississippi trying to find games yeah. to play. It, it's very hard. Um, the closest team that we have is St. Andrews, which is right right down the street. We play them a lot, but we've played t- people in Louisiana, Tennessee, Alabama. We've gone all over. Um, but sometimes it's fun to just see you go over there and say, lacrosse is really developed in Alabama. Like, let's try to be like them and take what they've done and try to grow it here so we can we don't have to travel as much. So, so when you go back to Pennsylvania in the summers, yeah. do you tell them about how you're kind of a pioneer for the sport of Mississippi? <laughs> yeah. Does that story grow more and more? Yeah, it's funny when people find out that oh, you live in Mississippi, you play on a boys team. That's pretty cool. And it's crazy because even girls up there are like, I kind of wish I'd play boys yeah, yeah. And they, 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 they have see, the same feeling. Yeah, yeah, don't they? yeah uh-huh. I think it also kind of helped her find her college home. Uh, yeah. Okay. Be, you know, playing on a on a boys lacrosse team and, yeah. you know, looking for a place to play yeah. in college. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Coaches were pretty impressed with that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It, yeah, but that's funny you get different. to tell them that you, mm-hmm. you go to Mississippi during the fall and the winter yeah. and Smash Boys with yeah. a stick. Yeah. And they let you do that. They even oh. give you a uniform to yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, uh, this has been awesome. Thank you uh, both so much for being here this morning. Thank and uh, I, again, I, 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 I love watching the sport and I'm, I'm all for it. I hope there's some way, maybe, as you mentioned, through maybe developing youth programs, mm-hmm. getting people involved a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and making lacrosse something that's, that's part of. Uh, you know, a kid's athletic vernacular mm-hmm. you know, from the very get-go, as opposed to, yeah. you know, dragging them out in middle school when they've figured out that they don't want to do anything else. Uh, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Faith and Tracy Hammerbeck. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll take our first break here. When we come back, a finalist for the Women's Basketball Naismith Coach of the Year Award, the number one seeded Mississippi State Women's Bulldogs, will play their first two games at home in the Humphrey Coliseum, the NCAA Tournament. And we'll speak with their coach, Vic Schaefer, Right after this break, this is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening on this Thursday morning.
Our next guest is uh, the hottest coach, regardless of sport, in uh, the state of Mississippi. Maybe in the country right now. One of the four finalists for the Werner Ladner, uh, Ladner, excuse me, Naismith Coach of the Year. And uh, by the way, you fans, you can vote NaismithTrophy.com forward slash vote. And you can, co- you can vote for our guest, Vic Schaefer, the head basketball coach for the Mississippi State Women's Bulldogs. Coach, thank you for your time. How are you? Oh, doing great. Thank you so much for the opportunity today. Absolutely. I really do uh, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. It must be, I'm guessing, maybe as hectic now as it has ever been for you? Uh, it's, it's really hectic. It's uh, practice in the mornings. I've been gone recruiting in the, every afternoon, and uh, today's no different. I'll be getting on a plane here shortly and recruiting this evening, be back this evening, more film to watch, more practice tomorrow. So it's just never ending right now. Absolutely. So what? How, how do you as a coach, Mississippi State started off the season, 32 wins and zero losses, and uh, South Carolina was able to get you for the SEC uh, tournament championship. So with a team that's won so many games, how and, and, and built up such, I guess, anticipation, a super duper high ranking, how do you handle going back into the gym the next day or the, or the next time that you assemble for a practice or in the locker room after a long winning streak like that. How do you handle that, help them process it, get it behind them, and, and try to move forward? Well, I think um, I don't think you get caught up too much in, in one bad night. And it was a total and complete one bad night. It's the game <laughs> I've been coaching against happening for 33 games, but it finally happened on game 33. So we had foul trouble to a key, key player, and we had uh, you know everyone on our team basically really struggled shooting the ball scoring a basketball so you know it's kind of one of those perfect storm type deals but you can't take anything either from South Carolina very talented team well coached um, you know they're a two seed in the in the big dance and and so uh, we've had a bunch of knockdown dragouts with them we're disappointed <laughs> we wanted to win a championship another championship but at the same time I think you move on absolutely and and South Carolina that's a it's a great rivalry you two teams have, and I know you knocked UConn out of their way last year. Maybe they could do the same for you guys this year, huh? Well, you never know. I mean, there's so much basketball between now and then, and we've got to take care of this weekend. I'm really concerned about our regional. I think we've been sent three really good teams, and uh, two of which we've already played and had very highly competitive games against this year. So, you know, we'll, we'll have our hands full. There's no question. So, uh, tell me about uh, being, and this is kind of, uh, uh, there's there there's no breaking news about this, but uh, because of your high seed, uh, the the Bulldogs will host the uh, first two rounds of the NCAA tournament uh, in Starkville again at the Humphrey Coliseum this year. Tell me a little bit about what you anticipate. Last year, the crowds really started to take off, and this year, it's been it's been really quite something to watch. Well, we've already sold out the regional. It's been sold out for a week, and uh, that was back before we even know who we were playing, when we were playing, or what time we were playing. So, our fan base is special, and uh, our Bulldog fans are, are really, uh, have really got behind our program and our team and they just love our kids and again it's not like that in most places but it is that way at Mississippi State and uh, just very special. It's great for our kids to be able to play in front of such a passionate fan base, the same fan base that took over American Airline Arena last year at the Final Four uh, provided an unbelievable atmosphere for, for uh, women's college basketball. Same fan base that traveled seven 8,000 in Nashville for the SEC tournament 
tournament and uh, stayed with us three days. So just uh, really proud of, of, of what we've been able to, to build and appreciative of the loyalty that our fans have shown our girls. Coach, tell me about the advancement. First, I mean, I know you've been you've been answering Victoria Vivian's questions, I'm sure, since you got on campus. She's been on the 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 radar of basketball fans in Mississippi, I mean, basically like nine years now, almost a full decade. Uh, but tell me about the advancement this year of Tierra McCowan, which has given you, and, and, and I hate to box your team into this this two-star thing because there's so many more pieces to it that are that are just enjoyable to watch. But tell me about the advancement of Tierra McCowan through the offseason into the player she's become and the difference maker she is this year. Well, you have to start with, uh, you know, how hard she's she's worked, and, and then you have to you have to throw Johnny Harrison there, my associate head coach, who's her position coach. Uh, just tireless hours at the gym, work ethic, both of them. Um, you know, it's it's been fun. It's it's really why we get into coaching to see young young people transform themselves and and develop and mature as both individuals and basketball players. And uh, you know, Tierra, she's come so far in such a short period of time and yet she still has a long way. She has a lot in a very she can improve in to really become what I believe is the most dominant player in the game uh, next year. So just really proud of her. Uh, obviously Coach Harris, um, just so blessed that, that she's here with me and uh, on our staff and the, the commitment she's shown Tierra over the course of her career is, is second to none. Now, we, we, I will ask you again about uh, Victoria Vivians, and, and I, I know through the years I've asked you this question a couple of different times, and it's the, the answer I anticipate will be different again this time because she's developed. She's continued to evolve and develop as a player. But, you know, in high school, it's just, you know, give the ball to Victoria, and she's just going to chuck it 40 times a game. And you could see a little bit of that in her as a freshman. You kind of had to work her out of that and into the, the, the team aspect of the entire thing and, and, and you know, living within the offense that you're trying to run as a team. And, and, and it's she's come so far as an individual and as a star player at the same time, not just on that basketball team, but in, on the campus in general, being the homecoming queen. Tell me a little bit about how she's continued to evolve as a player and as a leader for your team. Well, I don't know that there's another player in the country that plays her position uh, guard forward that's improved their shooting percentage 13 points. I mean, that's an unbelievable number considering the non-conference schedule that we played uh, against the top 10, top 20 teams that we played against, and then to follow it up with a 16-game grueling SEC schedule. Uh, have, we have more more quality wins, more top 25 wins than anybody in the country. And Victoria Vivians did it against that schedule. And so, um, you know, her, her shooting percentage from two-point range is up 13%. Her three-point shooting percentage is up, uh, I think, 6 7%. Her rebounds are up two a game to six, over six a game. 
uh, and her defense has become really, really special. She's uh, second on the team in steals. So, um, you know, again, just the work ethic and the time she's put in with our assistant coaches and and just understanding that, hey, she's got help. She doesn't have to take all the shots. Um, she's become a much better passer, sees the floor extremely well. And uh, so, uh, again, uh, I couldn't be more proud and happy uh, for her, as you mentioned. Homecoming queen, uh, the things she does in this community. Uh, right now, she's doing an internship at a daycare where she deals with one-year-olds every day, all day. And uh, so that's a special young lady, a Mississippi kid um, that if I can't find her in Starkville, I know where to find her. She's at home with mom and dad and grandma. And she's just a family kid. And you got to love someone like that who holds their family uh, in such high regard. Speak with Vic Schaefer, head basketball coach, Mississippi State. The uh, the women's basketball coach, Bulldogs, thirty two and one, number one seed uh, in the Kansas City Regional, the NCAA tournament, hosting first round games on uh, the seventeenth and the nineteenth. I should say first round games on the seventeenth and the second round games on the nineteenth at the Humphrey Coliseum in Starkville, but it's already sold out. So uh, uh, good luck getting a ticket for that if if you can. So let me ask you about uh, coaching your daughter Blair. Uh, the, these four years, and and she is more than just seeing your baby out there. I mean that that she is a an important key part of this team. She's a stopper. Uh, she's a floor rat. Takes all the charges and all you know the floor burns and everything else. And she's mercenary from the outside, hitting the threes seemingly only when it matters the most. Tell me about coaching that player on your team who is also your baby girl at the same time. Well, it's been one of the real blessings in my life. I, I just uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, she's earned her way. She's made herself into a Southeastern Conference basketball player at five foot six. Um, you know, she's not supposed to be tall enough, not big enough, not strong enough, not fast enough. But she's too tough. She's too competitive. Um, <laughs> she plays way too hard. Um, she's just a, a heck of a player. And she's become really the glue to our team. She's our best health defender. And to think that at five foot, whatever she is, five or six, not being able to, to you know, having uh, the ability sometimes to out-quick people, but yet she's averaged 10 points a game in the Southeastern Conference. Um, really speech volumes for her. Uh, her teammates have made it so easy to coach her because they've been great. But again, Blair's earned her way and she's earned the respect of her teammates as well as our coaching staff. So it's been a lot of fun. I, I certainly, like I said, counted as a real blessing. Um, you know, for her, she probably gets coached harder than anybody on our team. <laughs> takes it takes it like a champ and uh you know uh, again just a hard working tough hard nosed kid and uh she's just um, she's made herself uh into a heck of a player finally coach let me ask you first SEC team in 20 years since Tennessee and Pat Summit in 97 98 and that's that's the peak of the mountain right there when you're talking about SEC women's basketball teams and coaches first team in 20 years to finish an undefeated regular season 30 and 0 uh, how do you approach this? Do you, do you try to take time to to kind of smell the flower, so to speak, enjoy what's going on, understand 
kind of have an idea of what it is that you're accomplishing as you're going along? Or do you keep your nose to the grindstone, you keep those blinders on and keep pressing forward as hard as you can, and then you have time later to enjoy what's happened? Yeah, I think that's where, where we're at. We're, uh, people ask me all the time during the season, am I enjoying it? And, you know, I, <clears throat> the answer probably is no. I'm, I'm always on to the next game, the next opponent, uh, the next practice. And, um, and that's just uh, kind of how I'm built. So when you're in the grind, um, you, you really put on the blinders. You put on, uh, you know, you, you try to eliminate distractions and you just keep grinding and you keep you keep getting ready for the next one. Uh, and so that's kind of where I've been and what I've been doing. We'll enjoy this at some point when it's all, you know, over. But right now we don't want it to be over. We, we want to keep playing and uh, this team's good enough to keep playing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Coach, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. Uh... Uh, blocking off some time to speak with us about uh, the Bulldogs. And uh, here's hoping out of the 64 that you're the one whose schedule ends with a W instead of an L. We appreciate it. Hey, praise the Lord and go dogs. Thanks, guys. That's Vic Schaefer, the uh, head basketball coach for the women's Mississippi State basketball Bulldogs. They are a number one seed and will be playing their games in the women's NCAA tournament. Liz has printed the bracket out. For me right here, they'll be playing Nichols State out of Louisiana in the first round. And uh, should they get past that, uh, and that's a uh, March 17th, 5 p.m. start, ESPN2 TV. Second round game will be the 19th against the winner of Syracuse and Oklahoma State, who will also play at the Humphrey Coliseum in Starkville. We'll learn about some Highland games and how bad I'd be at all of them after this break. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. And uh, now on the program with us, we have Cameron Carson, who's going to be speaking with us about a Highland Games demonstration that's going to be going on and part of the Celtic Fest in Jackson, which is uh, going on March 23rd and 24th at the Mississippi Ag and Forestry Museum in the Jackson area. Cameron, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. We really appreciate your time. Uh, before we get into what exactly the games are and uh, how you perform them, tell us how you got started and got involved with uh, with uh, performing and playing Highland Games. Well, my father-in-law is in the band Emerald Accent, and they travel around and do a lot of these festivals. So we went, went up to, uh, to visit him, and while we were watching him do his music and all, I noticed the games going on down the hill. I went down there and got involved, and that's kind of how we got started. So uh, for folks who don't know, and I, when Liz brought this to my attention that we would do this on the show, I think I can name a couple of them. 
What are some of the Highland games, or do you know all of them? Can you list all of them, or is it too many to list at one time? Well, traditionally, you'll have like a um, like a stone put. It's sort of like a shot put, but you use a uh, like a twenty pound stone. Ooh. Yeah, and and then um, and there's two different kinds of stone foot. There's a the heavy one and a lighter one. The heavy one's 20 to 26 pounds, and the lighter one is 16 to 22 pounds. And there's slightly different ways to throw each of those. And then there's a um, a weight for distance, which is the one if you if you look it up, you'll see them spinning around with a big heavy weight. That heavy weight's actually a 56 pound weight that they're throwing around, and the lighter one is a 28 pound weight. Then they have the um, the hammer throw, which everyone seems to like. They spin the hammer around and around and around and see how far they can throw it over the back. Then you have your overhead events, which is where they stand there underneath this this big thing, and they they throw the weights over their head and over a bar. Yeah. And usually there's a there's a weight involved in that. It's a, also a 56 pound weight, and these guys can throw that weight you know 10, 11, 12, 13 feet above their head, which is really amazing. A sheep toss, which is like a little hay and this thing is like a 16-pound hay bale, and they throw it with a pitchfork over their back. Oh. <laughs> None of these are easy, man. <laughs> no, they're, uh, it's not supposed to be really easy. You know, These things started back a long time ago as part of like, a Scotland military uh, exercise. I can see. <laughs> the guys are going to get river stones and throw the rocks. And the caber talk is probably the, the one that people can, can name the most. It's the one where um, it looks like they're flipping a light pole. Yeah. This, and this thing is, you know, 18 to 20 feet tall, and the heavy end at the top. And the idea behind that is you, you have to run and throw it up and make the thing make a complete, you know, 180 and land the other way. And this thing can weigh, you know, up to 140 pounds. So I don't know how I would do that without taking my own head off as soon as I let it go. Uh, <laughs> <Especially>. <laughs> the weighted end is at the top. Let's start with throwing the stones, man. I mean, how, how how much did you say the heaviest of the two was again? The heaviest it would be would be 26 pounds. 26 pounds. Okay, so like I could probably throw that, I don't know, about a half a foot in front of me before it hit the ground. How, what are some of the lengths that the, the championship uh, contenders are throwing this thing at? Man, I'm not I'm not sure what, the, what, is, what they're doing on the highest level. I know the ones that I've seen, they're throwing these things probably, you know, 15, 16 feet. Wow. Holy cow. So... I mean, for this and some of the other events, how do you how how much do you and how do you go about training for those? I imagine um, if you were really really serious about it on some sort of I guess maybe international level, there's a lot of core training. I would imagine that goes into this. Oh yeah, a lot of core training, a lot of leg training. You actually you kind of have to be light on your feet on some of these then with the um, with the twisting motion and handling the weight and the momentum of the weight, not you know, getting off balance too bad. Yeah, that but, is interesting. It does. It seems like, uh, you know, maybe somebody would see these and think these are some brute force games, but it, 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 I can see where it is very tricky in, in the strategy that, that, that you have to use that goes into it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's similar to like a, like on the stones, for example, the motion that you would have like throwing a shot put, you know, where they, they spin and step and all, everything has to be just right. On the weights, you'll actually take two or three spins. They almost look like ballerinas.
hands spinning down there, except they're spinning 56 pounds. Yeah. Cam, uh, Cameron Carson is our guest talking about the Highland Games demonstration going on March 23rd and 24th at the Mississippi Ag and Forestry Museum uh, at the Celtic Fest in Jackson. So, okay, after you after you saw this the first time and uh, I guess you were immediately drawn to it, wanted to get involved with it, how did it go from something that you saw that you thought was interesting to wanting to like competitively do this and, and, and pursue it? This isn't something I necessarily do a lot of. Mm-hmm. More like a, like a side thing. Uh, there's a Facebook page called uh, Mississippi Highland Games, and they keep you updated on, on events and throwing clinics and what all's happening, especially in the southern part of the state. I did see where there are also some uh, uh, some some Celtic. There's a Celtic Fest and some games that are going to be going on in the Mississippi uh, Gulf Coast, I think, in November. Uh, or do do a lot of the same competitors uh, kind of travel the same roads? You think? Yeah, I, I believe so. There's a lot of guys that, that that travel and do this and kind of stick together. All right. So what are what are the what are the ones out of all the competitions? Can you do you kind of have to do all of them, or can you pick and choose which ones that you want to participate in? And, and if so, w- what are the ones that are your favorites? Well, you would you would usually do do all of them, um, and it's, it's, there's nothing necessarily set in stone on on what events have to go on during each game. So it's slightly different every time you do it. Uh, my personal favorite is the caber toss, just because it's not something that you see every day. You, know, you can see the people swing a hammer, throw something, but flipping that pole is something that is just, just cool to watch. Is there something that you could do particularly to try to practice that motion? I imagine there's not a whole lot of things that you could just go out and grab that will emulate what it is you have to do to perform that sport. About the only way to, to really practice is to get your hands on something that's similar to what you'll be using. Yeah. And practice that way. All right. So what's what is the outfit that you're wearing? Does it involve a kilt? And that's a whole other thing. I can't imagine, you know, we have so many, you know, sports specific, sleek and, and you know, technology based outfits for all the athletes these days. And I can imagine that's not necessarily the case. No, it's not. Usually you'll wear some sort of a cleat and uh, a kilt and just a t-shirt, just whatever you want to wear. Yeah. All right. So, um, for you, you said the, the the caber toss was your favorite. Which one do you think most people gravitate toward? Do you think it's the caber toss or maybe the uh, the, the stones you mentioned that uh, you you throw overhead behind you? Which one do you think the people, uh, or maybe it uh, is the, the best spectator event to go see? I would certainly say the caber toss would be the most uh, interesting thing that most people like to watch. Better the sheep toss with the, with the hay bale, because that's just not something you see every day. No, absolutely not. And, and it's, it's got a great name, too. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron Carson, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you talking to us. All right. Thank you. All right. We're about to take our last break of the program. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on in sports this weekend. Or as it turns out this week, what's going on in sports starting in about 45 minutes. The NCAA tournament. I'm going to tell you how many billions of dollars are estimated to be lost in business productivity on these two days in the United States of America. We, you know what? I'm, I'm either, we should either be mad or really impressed with how much we could just uh, not care. All right, we'll take a break. This is MPB Season Pass. We'll be back.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I am Jay White. Liz, we've got uh, St. Patrick's Day and many of the parades and races and runs. There's stuff all over the place to do with St. Patrick's Day this weekend. There are. Uh, and I think the, uh, the one on the coast, you're encouraged to dress in costume. How about that? The uh, Hibernia St. Patrick's Day Parade and 5K run in Biloxi. Um, uh, it's in downtown. The Derby run starts at 9 a.m., a 5K run for all ages through the streets of downtown Biloxi prior to the parade. There'll be awards for the best costumes, as you mentioned, for individual adults, children, and group. And it's organized by the Gulf Coast Running Club. Uh, the St. Patrick's Day 5K uh, will, in Jackson will be going on at the uh, Jackson Convention Center Complex. 8 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, the 5K Walk and Run is a fundraiser for the Blairy Batson Hospital for Children and includes awards based on different age groups and genders, the largest team, the fastest open team, and best costumes. And uh, registration and packet pickup starts at 7 a.m. So uh, there's a couple of uh, those anyway. Uh, so let me get you to guess, if you could, how much productivity is lost over the course of the tournament. How about that? I, I know it's it's humongous. Um, well, let's see here. Um, according to Wallet Hub. Because there are so many games going on and so many games going on at the same time. So people from all over the nation have a dog in the fight. Yep. Well, it's it's and it's over so many days. Well, these two days specifically is when I think a, a vast majority of the money goes by the wayside, or so much of the work is done. And I don't know how they, I don't know how they quantify that number or qualify how it's being lost. But the games are going to start, uh, boy, geez, in probably about thirty minutes from now. And so you have games going on during business days before lunchtime, uh, depending on uh, where you live in the country. Yeah, Rhode Island, Oklahoma starts at 1115. Yeah. Yeah, just just a few minutes away. And and for breakfast, depending on what part of the country you live in. If you're on the West Coast, man, wake up, get some coffee, watch some hoops. Well, that's that's the way to go right there. Well, let's see. According to Wallet Hub... Uh, they put the cost of distracted employees at about $4 billion over the course of the entire NCAA tournament. Uh, lots of outlets are bandying about a $1.9 billion figure based on a Challenger Gray and Christmas study. Meanwhile, Bloomberg pointed to research implying such estimates may be inflated because employees who watch basketball together are happier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And there's evidence that people truly value happiness enough to outweigh money in some cases. I still don't know how you quantify or qualify that toward, toward this number. I haven't noticed it this year, but I know one year CBS Sports 
on their web page where they were broadcasting the games had a rollover where you could move your mouse and then it changed your uh, monitor to a spreadsheet. So if someone yes, walked the in, boss button. you could you could roll it over and it looked like you just had on an Excel spreadsheet rather than the game. Hopefully you have some sort of reason to have a spreadsheet open in your job. <laughs> if you don't work with Excel, your boss comes in and says, why do you have a random spreadsheet open? What are you doing? Uh, anyway, I'm keeping up with the pool. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm looking at uh, the TPS reports or whatever they're called. <laughs> uh, so it's not all bad news, though, for the NCAA tournament. Um, Mark Anderson of the Sacramento Business Journal reports that Sacramento has said that they believe hosting opening round games in the tournament last weekend amounted to a $5 million last weekend, last year, excuse me, amounted to a $5 million positive economic impact. Uh, and Ellie Perry of the Memphis Business Journal reports that officials there expected a positive economic impact of $3 million for regional final games that were played in Memphis uh, at the FedEx Forum last year. Because so. everybody's got to travel, or almost everybody's got to travel. I know the, the on the women's bracket, Mississippi State is playing in Starkville, but they the men's bracket, they don't get to be at their home court. Is that correct? That's right. The, the first and second rounds, and I don't know if it, maybe eventually they'll get to a point where they feel like they can have all the games at a neutral site. I don't know what the benefit is necessarily other than um, the idea that it's competitive fairness. Uh, I mean, you do have 32 teams playing home games in the first round of the women's NCAA tournament, and I don't know that they necessarily that that's necessarily the most competitive situation that you want. It seems like a, a disadvantage for teams that are on the road. But, um, of course, we know the NCAA, part of all this is drawing revenue. And as opposed to you know, playing a game randomly like in some arena in Chattanooga or Little Rock or Piscataway or something like that, randomly in front of 2,500 people, you could have those games in the Humphrey Coliseum in Starkville, and as Coach mentioned, they're sold out a week in advance. Uh, of And that was before they even knew who their competitors were. Right, right. At that point, it was only assumed that they would be a host, and uh, the top four seeds in each regional get to host uh, first and second round games, and this would be, the, I believe... The second, you know, I think it's a third year in a row because last the uh, two years ago, I think Mississippi State was a five seed, but because of some sort of, if I'm remembering this correctly, because of some sort of conflict with Michigan State's basketball arena, Mississippi State got to host the first two games of the tournament, or maybe that was last year. I don't know, memory, but um, yeah, so it, it's I, I could see where it's a revenue thing for the NCAA, and so they hope that they can. You know, draw you know more money and more tickets sold, and 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 get more. And, and to a to a certain extent, it is honestly better for the game because it helps develop it on campus sites, and that's that's where the game is growing more than like in big cities and stuff like that. It's places like Starkville, Mississippi, or Waco, Texas. Well, I know uh, when I've been to. Uh, uh, a tournament, it's, you know, when your team isn't playing, you still have tickets for the other games, and you get to pick somebody to cheer, to cheer for. Yeah. All right, so are you doing a... Uh 
NCAA tournament bracket. Well, somehow or not, this I is all would, on the up and up, folks. There's I would no be money ridiculous. exchanged. I, I have. Uh, There's no judgment here. My home state is Arkansas, but my dad's uh, tuition money went to the University of Texas, <laughs> and they're on opposite sides. That's a uh, a Southwest Conference. Uh, conflict of interest right there. It's a good thing that's not a league anymore. Uh, that's right. Well, it was when I was there, right. and my dad was highly embarrassed but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, is great. that I went to the University of Texas. But they're on opposite sides of the bracket. That that could be a, a national championship. Oh, I guess, uh, what, is the Warren Buffett offer still on until the games begin, or did we have to do it before the, uh, the first four games that were played in Daytona? Uh, that's interesting. It, and I think it doesn't count those first four games. Okay, so if you you get a million dollars if you go to Warren Buffett's website and put in a perfect bracket. A perfect bracket. And I, if if I'd have known you were going to mention that, I'd have looked up what the odds are. Actually, it's some, zero some to sort zero. of astronomical. <laughs> I mean, there's sixty there's sixty four teams, so you have sixty three games. And then you multiply all the different opportunities, and then you you double that up by round. So it's it's way way high up there. But well, I'm sure there is somebody who I don't even know if you have enough time to do this between the time the tournament is announced and the time the games start. But somebody out there is trying to create enough bracket entries so that he can have every different possible combination of teams winning, so that maybe somehow or another. He could hit the million-dollar bracket. Well, this is my favorite time of the sports year rather than the the football bowl season because with all of my family, my extended family, where we've lived – we almost have a dog in every fight, mm-hmm. uh, whether we're cheering for someone or cheering against someone. Uh, I can uh, – uh, every game is interesting to me. Well, it is it is fun. The NCAA tournament has something that almost no other sport has, and that, especially in this first round, you you have again. It starts in the morning, runs till late at night for two consecutive days, and it's it's nonstop games, and you have a bunch of good teams. There are no bad teams here, really. Uh, they're all league champions in some sort of form or another, and. You have Cinderella's versus you have David versus Goliath matchups these two days mostly, uh, and every year there seems to be two or three of the the Davids who beat the Goliaths, and that's it's what everybody yearns for. The, yeah, the trick is you get your bracket blown when you pick the underdogs. But you know what? The thing is, I think I think people love it so much. They love the the great moment so much that they're willing. They're willing to throw their bracket in the garbage uh, by by having the the lower seated team win somehow or another. That, or you can pick Kansas uh, to win your tournament. That's another way you can blow up your bracket every single year. By the way, uh, Jackson native and former Mississippi State player Malik Newman, who transferred to Kansas, was the Big Twelve Conference Tournament Most Outstanding Player for Kansas in their run through the tournament. He averaged something like twenty four points a game. Uh, and looks like he's really found his place there. He's blossomed as the season has moved on. They are a number one seed um, and will play today at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, I think, against Pennsylvania, the Ivy League champ. And so uh, if you're uh, keeping pace with Malik, that'll be uh, where you can catch 
uh, what time you could catch that game anyway, and all the best to him, hopefully. But he plays for Kansas, so they're going to blow the bracket right up. Thanks to our guests for coming in today, and thank you for listening. And stay tuned. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart is next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.